What's up, guys? Good evening, and welcome back to In the Arena. I'm your host, Benny Johnson, and on this show, we go into the arena. We will show you how the soup is made in this, the United States of America, and our political system. We'll take you places that no one else will, and we'll show you who's throwing punches and who's landing punches in the ring. Man, there were a lot of punches thrown and landed last week at the Republican debate in Miami. We were there behind the scenes with Vivek Ranswamy and made international news showing you how Vivek prepared for his haymaker of a debate where he went thermonuclear on the debate host and on neocons and on Nikki Haley and on Ron McDaniel. Man, this was a big time blast. And also don't say the term thermonuclear too loudly around Nikki Haley. You'll get her all excited. She'll be tapping her heels. Might set off the ammunition inside of her heels. Speaking of ammunition and unsafe places, this week's episode, we go to a very deeply unsafe place. A failed state, in fact, is where we travel on this episode of In the Arena. Which failed state did we travel to? Well, here's a map of all the failed states around the globe, according to the United Nations. Red means bad, right? Green means good. Yellow means you're on your way to bad. The definition of a failed state, according to the United Nations, is a state that has lost its effective ability to govern its populace. A failed state maintains legal sovereignty, but experiences a breakdown of political power, law enforcement, and civil society, leading to state of near anarchy. What are the symptoms of this anarchy? What is the evidence or the signs that you are living inside of a failed state? Demographic pressures, group grievance, human flight or brain drain, poverty or economic decline, state legitimacy, public services decaying, human rights, rule of law decaying, and the security of your citizens collapsing. Now, what place describes that around the globe? Surely some of these nations apply. You see there South America, the Middle East, and African nations in collapse. So can you guess which of these failed states we traveled to for this episode? I mean, while I'd like to visit some of them, and certainly we might in the course of this show, we actually traveled to one of the green countries. And while the country may be green, the nation's capital certainly is not certainly run out of green and run out of anything good for anyone, the capital of America. Now, of course, Washington, D.C. is where you'd go to find the personification of America. It's where our founding documents are. It's where our famous monuments are. And it's where every president has lived and served since the time of John Adams. And so you would assume that Washington, D.C. would certainly not reflect a failed state status. But when you look through just a week's worth of local news in Washington, D.C., you'll see that major headquarters of political parties have been attacked by riotous mobs of orcs that hurt, injured police officers and railed and raged in support of terrorist groups. You'll see that members of Congress were carjacked while going to work on Capitol Hill inside of the legislative branch that they worked at. They had their cars stolen and even their dinners stolen. How embarrassing. And you'll see that even the president's granddaughter isn't safe. Earlier this week, Naomi Biden and her security had to discharge their firearms in order to stop a robber from attacking Hunter Biden's daughter, the president's granddaughter, Naomi Biden. This happened in Georgetown, the most pretentious and fussy area of Washington, D.C., the safest area of Washington, D.C., what are some of the symptoms of a failed state? Breakdown in state legitimacy, public services, crime, group grievance, demographic pressures, fractionalized elites. Yeah, that's absolutely what defines Washington, D.C. It is not safe in Washington, D.C. And so we traveled back to speak to some interesting characters all across the city and to show you what Washington, D.C. is like day to day living in a failed state. And what does it say about America that our nation's capital is in total and complete collapse? Here's what we found when we entered the failed state of Washington, D.C. 
We hear a lot from our government about collapsed nations and failed states around the world, but have we ever held up a mirror and said, what does our capital city look like? There are kidnappings and rapes and murders and members of Congress that are getting mugged. The Secret Service had to shoot at robbers who were trying to attack Joe Biden's granddaughter just this week. What's going on inside of our nation's capital? As somebody who used to live in Washington, D.C. for 15 years, I decided to investigate. We'd heard there was a protest at the White House the night before we landed, and so we headed over to the People's House to see what kind of a state it was in. My God, we weren't ready for this. Pay no attention to the terrorists behind the curtain, because that's what's happening right here at the White House. We were here earlier this morning, saw the red paint everywhere, the red hands desecrating the physical fence of the White House. Now it's been covered up by a curtain as they power wash it all off. Who gets to pay for this, I wonder? Will there be any um, restitution for any of the protesters who desecrated the White House? The other thing that I find particularly interesting is that still, 24 hours, 48 hours later, there is enormous amounts of garbage, refuse, trash, and rubbish that are still that's still here, left by our environmentalist friends. I need to get a tetanus shot after touching that. And of course, they have closed down the entirety of the front of the White House. There's police officers stationed there. Sad thing is that this should all be open, obviously, for tourism. In the normal time, you'd be able to walk right up to the, to the gate there, right? Really tall fence. But they were climbing that fence. They were vandalizing and desecrating the White House itself. And so they had to shut, they shut it all down. And it gets worse. So you'll see the ferocity of these violent criminal protesters here as they have climbed up to the very, very tippy top there. Again, another Revolutionary War memorial that has been desecrated by people who are at the very least terrorist group adjacent with supporting Hamas. And here you have a nice solid one, maybe two uh, Joe Bidens up at the top there. Unlike some of the other monuments, this monument is right across the street from the press entrance at the White House. So that's where all the journalists go in to journal. Yet I haven't seen so little about the desecration of these monuments. In fact, an ABC News reporter uh, tweeted that this was simply a, pa a passionate demonstration. These are the results of a passionate demonstration. Uh, what framing? How generous. Does this look like it's a passionate demonstration to you or does this look like they have desecrated, vandalized, and behaved illegally uh, here across the street from the White House on federal property. Again, holding my breath for federal charges. I think I might suffocate. As we said before, I used to live in Washington, D.C. for 15 years. My first house was on this block. We decided to head over to the old hood. So this is where I bought my first house, this neighborhood right behind me. My wife and I are dirt poor didn't have anything when we were able to purchase. Here in this neighborhood, which is not too far from the capital, but definitely rougher around the edges, working class. That house right there, the one in between the blue and the green. Of course, those houses weren't blue or green at the time, and the greenhouse was a known drug house. When the city defunded the police, and when the BLM riots took control, uh, the gang wars went from on the other side of the river to up here. And that caused a turf war that ended up in that house right there. It's now colored green, but that house getting burned to the ground. Somebody went and took a bunch of gasoline, smashed in the back door and burned it down. And my house, which was right here, 624, that was a home where I had my newborn child was a couple months old. And my newborn baby was inside. The house filled with smoke. The firefighters smashed in the door and had to rescue my wife and baby from out of the house. And also speak with my old football coach to see how things are going in Washington since we had to flee. Coach Will! <laughs> this is my brother. How you doing, brother? This is my main man right here. It's good to see you. Likewise. So I was I was walking away from the wreck, and there was an ice cream truck right here. And Coach Will, I've never met him, and he goes, "Hey, you ever thought about coaching? We need help coaching." I said, "I don't. I was no, I'm no good. 
I'm a no good athlete. I don't know anything. And he goes, it's five year olds. You don't need to know anything. Yeah, five or six year olds, that's right. And we yeah. coached a couple of seasons and yeah, won the city championship. Seasons. Yeah, three seasons. I was amazed during the height of BLM and defund the police, I would walk the neighborhoods and I would ask people, do you want more or less police? And every person, to a man or a woman, all my neighbors would say more police. Yeah. Every single person. Yeah, we put that up and everyone was like, wow, oh wow, this is interesting. Because you did the homework and they did the every homework. Every single person. Yeah, every day, because like you said, they must have did the homework. Yeah. And, and it, it is what it is. Yeah. So, you know, you might got people saying they don't like the police and all that. I, I just call it, that's ignorant conversation because if you say, Again, if you had bad experience with the police, if you had bad experience, okay, fine. But do that one bad experience make up for all the ones the rest of your life? A bad cop pull you over here, bad cop, he might push on you a little bit, make you get out, make you do all that extra stuff. He might harass you a little, little bit. But what about the ones that gonna say, hey, Hey, Mr. Man, how you doing? Have a nice day. You know what I mean? But that's the, the life that we're living right now. Yeah. When everybody talking about defunding the police and we just, like I said, all I do is stay at it. So, so you're here on our channel to officially announce your run for mayor? That no, is man, great, no, Will. Man, that, no, I'm, so no, man, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Finally, finally, no, man, Mayor that, Will. It no, sounds great. That, that sounds so that. good. That mayor Will. After catching up with Coach Will, we headed back to Capitol Hill to the safer part of Washington, D.C. Or is it? On Capitol Hill, multiple members of Congress have been carjacked at their residences or outside of their offices. So it seems like even the people who are making this city suck so badly are not immune to its horrors. Senator Ted Cruz has a new book out called Unwoke to try and undo some of these awful policies. He joined us. And well, let's see if we get carjacked. Senator, there's some graffiti at the White House. We got to go check it out. All right, let's they go. They wrote FJB all over the White House. It is really, <laughs> we got to get it before they wash it off. All right. Even Hunter can read it. Unwoke. I would very much have liked for Washington, D.C. to follow these policies. We had to leave. We had to leave. I used to live here. When we would do all this uh, machine gun bacon together, I was like, uh, I used to live here. I, I, I have Stop. to say, machine gun bacon still triggers the left. <laughs> they have an incredibly difficult time with the fact that that exists. It was an AR-15, like, before it was controversial, and nobody knew that you could cook on them. Yeah. You changed the game. And you remember, you and I, we overcooked the bacon. You did, yes. We used three magazines, you really only need two. <laughs> I apparently Senate staffers I have right here from your off from Senate Operations Center, so I assume that this is something that, that your office would read, saying that uh, saying that you're liable to get carjacked as a senator. Uh, let's read from here. Uh, due to an increase in carjackings, please always keep doors locked, windows up, avoid driving alone, especially at night. You're driving alone. You're driving at night with us. Yeah. Are you nervous, Senator? Uh, look, DC's nuts. Uh, it, you know. Henry Cuellar, a Democrat congressman from Texas, yeah. was carjacked. Yes. He was carjacked at 9.30 at night. That's not too different from when we are right now. He yeah. was outside of his apartment building that apparently a whole bunch of members of Congress live in his apartment building. And he was getting out and apparently they stole his luggage, his car, and his dinner that night. I, that is insane. Uh, Rand Paul had a staffer stabbed multiple times at like 4.35 o'clock in the afternoon. The crime we're seeing across the country that's skyrocketing, we're seeing in D.C. And we're seeing it in D.C. because they let violent criminals go. Yeah, yes. And you look at what did the city council do to skyrocketing murder rates, skyrocketing carjacking? They, they passed legislation to lower the penalties for murder, for violent crime, for carjacking. Now, it was so extreme that even the Democrats in Congress some of them were willing to stand up to it. Although I say some of them in the House, we overturned the lessening of those penalties. All but two Democrats voted in favor of lowering the penalties for murder, lowering the penalties for carjacking. One of those two was Henry Cuellar. 
<laughs> so he voted against it. He still gets carjacked. <laughs> there are people who want this. Like they wish to live in the slop. There, look, we've seen Christ. videos, a left-wing activist who was murdered in his home in Philadelphia, heartbreaking, shot multiple times in his right. apartment, who, who, who had been saying, there is no crime ri rising in Philadelphia. You people are crazy, it's perfectly safe. Yeah. The poor guy gets murdered. Another left-wing activist who was stabbed to death on the streets of New York at four in the morning. That video is horrific. And, and listen, when you let violent criminals go, they commit more violent crimes. This is not rocket science. Uh, on Twitter recently, someone, someone showed, put a video of, of, of several kind of young punks in a store just rummaging and stealing everything. And they said, how do we solve this? I said one word, handcuffs. Yeah, like yeah. it's not complicated. You arrest them, you put them in jail. That's how you stop them. But when you have idiot politicians, who won't enforce the law, you end up with more and more criminals. My new book on woke, it's brand new. Uh, the entire focus of it, it, it is on the, the madness of what's happening in this country. And, and in particular, what I try to do is two things. Number one, explain how it happened, how the radical left seized control of every major institution of our nation, how and why they did. And then number two, to lay out a plan to defeat it. So the subtitle is very important, how to defeat cultural Marxism in America. And so the book st starts out in the universities. You know, look, we're turning on the TV and we're seeing radicals climbing the White House fence. We're, we're seeing- We're going to the White House right now. Yeah, we're seeing yeah. anti-Semitic protests on college campuses all across the country. People are wondering, how did this happen? This book on Woke explains how it happened. Communists always start with the young people. The first chapter in the book focuses on the universities. I call the universities the Wuhan, the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. It's where the virus was created, <laughs> it's where it mutated, and it's where it spread. And, and it started in the 60s and 70s with a bunch of Marxists becoming professors at our elite universities. And then they, be, they became professors, then they became administrators, and they took over the universities from within. Now, now, what is Marxism? You and I know what it is, but Karl Marx viewed society as an in inevitable economic conflict. And it's a conflict between oppressors and victims. And, and he viewed it socioeconomically. The left began expanding from just plain vanilla Marxism to all sorts of esoteric variations. So they used the Marxist lens, but instead of looking at socioeconomic differentiation, they shifted it to race. And that's where you get critical race theory, where they say America is, is irredeemably racist. We have a fundamental battle between oppressors and victims. And the solution is a violent revolution to forcibly overthrow the oppressors and redistribute and have government favor the victims. The same scheme, the same prism was applied to gender, to sexual orientation, to gender identity. And Cultural Marxism in particular is using the vehicles, using the avenues of culture to enforce their rigid orthodoxy, to enforce cancel culture. You will obey or you will lose your job. You will be silenced. You will be disappeared. You will be banned. So in a, well, like, what stage are we at when, the, when senators have to read memos like this that you're going to get carjacked? Like Look, what stage of this are we at? Because this is banana. This is it, crazy. It, it is bananas, and unfortunately, big blue cities. Yeah. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Washington D.C., New York City, Chicago, San Francisco. You know, a few months ago, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal asking, "Is San Francisco in a doom spiral?" Yeah. Doom spiral is like what happened to Detroit, where where things get so bad that people flee, the tax base erodes, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Within just a few months. 22 major retailers fled downtown San Francisco. And the article in the journal describes how the crime was out of control, the homelessness, the drug use on the, on the street, people defecating on the street. And, and, and it describes liberal politicians saying, we don't know what to do about all this crime. And it doesn't occur to them to lock their asses up and throw <laughs> them in jail. And, and it, you know, you look at Chicago, Chicago, they threw Lori Lightfoot out this radical left-wing mayor, and they elected someone even more liberal that undermines law enforcement even more. And tragically, there will be more and more deaths. The big cities, look, New York State, I had high hopes for Lee Zeldin as governor. Yeah. And the guy was running for governor on, on, on a tough on crime 
uh, platform, he is literally physically assaulted while campaigning for governor. A guy leaps up with a sharpened keychain and tries to slit his throat. This is the candidate for governor who's nearly killed by a criminal. The guy gets arrested. He's released the same day on a cash-free bail. You try to murder the candidate for governor and you're released. You don't even spend a day in jail. And sadly, the people of New York voted to send back Kathy Hochul, this, this, this left-wing loon. I fear for the big cities. I, and, and I think a city like D.C., it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's really nice of you to have this concern because generally, with I think Austin as the exception, maybe Houston, Texas doesn't have this problem. Uh, generally, the, the, there's not like insa- pure insanity in Texas. And a lot of people from California, yeah. uh, New York, they're going to Texas, right? They're making your state more powerful and richer. So yes and no. Um, and listen, I'll say number one, look, I grieve a city like San Francisco. It, it, its politics is different than yours and mine. Yeah. But San Francisco is a great American city. Yes. It's an iconic American city. Yes. And yes. to see great American cities destroyed. They don't have a right. You it, have no right. You it, have no right to destroy this place. It, yeah. it, it, you didn't build it. It, it, it is infuriating. Yeah. This is our nation's capital. And these loons are making it that people are afraid to be out at night, afraid to be in the city. It's not just at night. People are getting robbed in broad daylight. Here in Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is right where we are right now, people get people getting robbed. And I'll tell you, listen, even in Texas, in Austin, we have that problem. And I'll tell you, in Houston, chief of police in Houston told me, said, in this city, there are about 100 trigger trigger pullers. These are the murderers. We know who they are. They're the people, the gangbangers. They're the people who pull triggers and murder people. And the problem is we have a bunch of Democrat elected criminal judges that keep letting them go. And the police chief's like, I know who they are. They're charged with murder. And they get let out on the street and they commit another murder. And, and like he said, if we could get these hundred guys off the street, the murder rate would plummet. But he's dealing with elected Democrat judges that just let them go. And you'll see you'll be able to see the graffiti from your window here. We captured the footage well, no, earlier no, today. Look, it, it could not have happened because I didn't see it on CNN <laughs> or MSNBC or ABC or CBS or NBC. What was the last time you got invited on CNN? I haven't been on CNN in years. They never invited you. I, I don't have any interest in going. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're so skewed, and it's dramatically different. Because um, their ratings would go up. They, like, you're, you're arguably one of the most famous senators in the Senate, maybe the most famous senator in the Senate. They would, pro- they would be very wise of them to give you a fair shake. It'd be good for them. So, so in 2017, CNN hosted three town hall debates between me and Bernie Sanders. They were, I believe, the top-rated show CNN had the entire year. Those are great. Each one was 90 minutes long. There were town halls on health care and tax policy. Bernie's an unapologetic socialist, and I'm an unapologetic capitalist. And we had real substantive debates. CNN doesn't do that anymore. Now they're just like socialism yeah. is the only view. It's, as you know, I host a podcast every week called Verdict with Ted Cruz. We do it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. By the way, everyone should subscribe to Verdict with Ted Cruz right here. Everyone should subscribe right there to Verdict with Ted Cruz, wherever you get your podcast. Do you know we have just under a million unique listeners to Verdict? We are beating CNN every single week. God, awesome. (laughs) And and it's because people are tired of the lying propaganda Yes, and they're looking for information. And so I walk through in, in, in the, and, and by the way, I recently had, had an episode of, of a verdict that was entitled CNN is Hamas's Air Force. <laughs> so is MSNBC, so is ABC. And I played like a dozen different stories that they'd covered that were simply repeating Hamas propaganda. But this is where it's all intertwined. Look, Hamas's strategy relies on the corrupt corporate media because Hamas knows they're not strong enough to defeat Israel on their own. But we're now after the horrific atrocities carried out by Hamas terrorists. Israel is quite rightly pledged to eliminate Hamas. And and we know that there will be significant Palestinian civilian casualties. Why? Because Hamas wants there to be Palestinian civilian casualties. They use human shields of Palestinians. So for example, they put their headquarters in the basement of a Palestinian hospital. 
They put rockets and missiles in kindergartens of Palestinian kids because Israel doesn't attack civilian targets. It only attacks military targets. And they deliberately want, when Israel takes out a, a nest of Hamas terrorists, they want dead Palestinian women and children that they've put there and wouldn't let leave because they know that the useful idiots in the media will then broadcast that globally and use it to demonize Israel. And it is part of their strategy. CNN is an integral part of Hamas's strategy. That's wild to think about. Do you think, I mean, we know that we're, we know that there is graffiti all over the White House right now. What would happen if a, if, if, if a Texan went to the White House and wrote FJB on a memorial in front of uh, the White House? What would happen if somebody wearing a red cap? Well, look, if it were January 6th, they would declare them insurrectionists. They would lock them in solitary confinement. They would seek to imprison them for years or decades. And, and when I talk about this in the book, that, that one of the elements of the woke takeover, there's a whole chapter on government, how they weaponize the Department of Justice and the FBI. They use it to attack their, 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 their political opponents. And, and, and listen, the dividing line ought to be clear. If you commit an act of violence, if you assault a police officer, you should be prosecuted. You should go to jail. And that's true whether I agree with your politics or disagree with your politics. No one has a right to engage in acts of violence. What the Biden administration has done with January 6th is they've used the excuse of the violent actions of a handful to try to persecute thousands and thousands of people who are engaged in peaceful protest. Right there, so this was what was interesting today. Right there is the White House grounds building that was burned down on May the 20th, 2020, when a leftist mob of orcs bum-rushed the White House while Donald Trump was in it. He had to go down to a secret uh, room, I think. You may have been briefed on this. But they went and injured cops, injured Secret Service agents, burned down St. John's Church, burned down, you can still see it, it's in flame. You can still see the ashes of a building that they torched on White House grounds. And we hear nothing about it. So they haven't even recovered from the last insurrection and, and by, staged by leftists. And by the way, we had an entire year of Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots all over the city. That's right. Where they burned major cities all across America. You know, October of last year, I did The View, and, and, which was a lot of fun. You want to talk about a hostile environment. And, and they're coming after me saying, you Republicans are all violent, crazy rioters. And I said, what, did you forget an entire year of Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots burning American cities across this country? And Whoopi Goldberg looked at me. She says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what Antifa riot is. Yo. There are millions. She did say that. She did say that. There, and there are millions. What was your of, response? I just started laughing at it. Yeah, yeah. But there are millions. The reason I went on that show is there are millions of women at home watching that show. They're just hearing indoctrination. You know, 10 years ago, if I would have suggested to you the Fortune 100 would become the economic arm for enforcing the leftist agenda, you would have said, that's nutty, that's crazy. We're now seeing it happen, but I, but I focus a lot on Bud Light and Target as really hopeful moments. So look, Bud Light, Bud Light was the number one selling beer in America. And yet the woke marketing executives looked down at their customers as a bunch of ignorant rubes and they wanted to use their beer to push their LBGT agenda, despite the fact that's not what their customers wanted. And they went from the number one selling beer in America to dropping out of the top 10, to losing tens of billions of dollars of market cap. Look, I, I was at the, the baseball playoffs and World Series. Every year when I would go in the past, I'd drink a Bud Light. <laughs> I looked, I could not find a single person in the stadium drinking a Bud, Bud Light <laughs> on the shelves. Bud Light just stood there untouched. And, and what is fascinating, so right after Bud Light, after they torched that brand, then Target happened. And Target did the same thing. Instead of selling affordable, high quality goods, you know, people want to come in and get detergent or clothes or whatever, they decided they wanted to push their political agenda. Again, the transgender agendas. They had these giant displays right at front, targeting kids, targeting kids with the LGBT agenda. And selling tuck-friendly swimsuits to two and three-year-old boys, telling boys to tuck their genitals under to pretend that they're girls. And you know what happened? Moms got pissed. Said, why are you trying to convince my three-year-old son that he's a girl? And 
again, just like Bud Light, they blew up tens of billions of dollars of market cap. Now, here's the encouraging thing, Benny. If you look at the discussion of the senior executives at Target in the opening days of the scandal, you know what they were saying? We don't want to be another Bud Light. Oh, God, don't let that happen. (laughs) That's a sign of victory. And what I talk about in this chapter, why is it that big business was captured? And the reason is just cost and benefits. The incentives, if you're an apolitical CEO, let's say you don't care about politics at all. You just want to be a successful CEO. The incentives in recent years were given to the woke mob. When they show up with their pitchforks and torches, give them what they want because the costs were minor and the benefits of making them go away were a lot. And so a rational CEO gave in to the woke mob. With Bud Light and with Target, we're adjusting the ledger so the costs are a lot more significant. Do you think that Eric Swalwell wears a tuck-friendly swimsuit? Look, he may be wearing one right now. And actually, to be fair... Only Fang Fang would know. To be fair, in order to... And we are in Chinatown right now, so we could ask. To be fair, in order to have a tuck-friendly swimsuit, you have to have something to tuck. (laughs) So you're going to get me in trouble for that. You are going to get me in trouble for that. (laughs) I'm just making an observation about anatomy. What's he going to do? Go fart on your office? I mean, let me be clear. I'm not a biologist, so how can I know? biologist. (laughs) The question, what is a woman, which we now have a Supreme Court justice incapable of answering it. To be clear, for the history of mankind, until the last five years, that's never been a trick question. (laughs) If you go back to the dawn of time, if you asked Adam and Eve, they knew what a woman was. And every person in between then, in every epoch, and and here's the point, even these lefty nuts know what a woman is. Joe Biden knows what a woman is. Notice he only sniffs the hair of girls. He can tell. And I promise you, I'll tell you one thing I'm absolutely certain about. Bill Clinton knows what a woman is. He has no doubt. And I say this, look, people know this is crap. And it is only power that allows them to enforce this agenda, which means we need to fight back and take the power away. So let's go back to big business. I talked about Bud Light and I talked about Target. But there's more we can do. So in the book, I talk about legislation Texas passed. It was Senate Bill 13 that said any company that boycotts oil and gas, oil and gas is a huge industry in Texas, produces millions of jobs. Any company that boycotts oil and gas, Texas is going to boycott you. And we will not invest any money from our university endowments, from our pension funds, hundreds of billions of dollars you're ineligible for. If you boycott our major industry, Texas ain't investing in you. And I'll tell you, I don't know that I've seen anything that has freaked Wall Street out as much as Texas doing that. I call another state to do the same thing. Use our capital to fight back. Change the cost-benefit analysis yeah. so that we get corporations out of this fight. Let's take media. You know what I urge people to do in this book? Conservatives and libertarians with resources buy media outlets, buy a newspaper, yes. buy a network, buy a radio station, buy a movie uh, a, a, a movie production studio, buy a book publisher. YouTubers. Yeah. I, look, and, and let's be clear. All right. Podcasters, YouTubers, independent creators. Yeah. Well, and we're doing that. Your podcast, my podcast, that's attacking from the side. The book talks about that. But I also think we need to seize, we don't need all of them, Yeah. but we need to take a major beachhead back. Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post for $300 million. Now, he did not do so because he was bullish on the long-term profitability of print media. He knows it's a dying medium. He did so to own the commanding heights of the public debate. There are lots of right of center business people that have $300 million or could raise it. And yet they'd rather invest it in a widget factory that gets a penny more profit and we abandon the battlefield of ideas. We need to fight back in my chapter on big tech. Elon Musk's buying Twitter was the single most important victory for free speech in decades. We need more people doing that. Yes. So here's my favorite battle that you've had over the past year. I've been a big Ted Cruz fan ever since. Uh, Green eggs in hand. Yeah. Only the real ones know. Only the OG ones know, okay? Green Eggs and Ham. Do you remember why I read Green Eggs and Ham? Almost nobody does. Your kids, right? It was yeah. the filibuster for your kids. So it was, my, my, kids, my kids were three and five at the time, my girls. And when I was home, I would read them bedtime stories. 
And so the filibuster lasted 21 hours. And so it was nine o'clock at night. It was eight o'clock back in Texas. It was their bedtime. And so I decided I'm going to do what I would do if I was at home and read them a bedtime story. And so we called at home and they turned the TV on. And so my girls watched me read them a bedtime story at their bedtime. And my favorite picture of my entire time in the Senate is from that night, Catherine, the youngest one who was three, both girls are in matching pajamas. And Catherine is up on the TV and she's got her hand on the TV and she's like touching the TV, looking at me. <laughs> yeah. And Caroline, who's five and she's in matching pajamas and, and Caroline's a skeptic, she's a cynic. And she's just cracking up laughing with utter joy that the girls are watching their daddy read them green eggs and ham on C-SPAN on the TV. So that's why I read it. So that may be an all time one. That may be an all time hit. But my favorite from this year is you being like, speaking of TikTok, young girls, you're using Dylan Mulvaney to sell beer to kids that are under the age of 21, right? Now, I think that the beer wholesalers were like, we don't know, like, I think they might've gone mush on that, but you like took it to them. Yes. And it scared the shit out of them. That guy, Matt must have really scared them, man. Well, and, and, and listen, it should have. So there's this group called the Beer Institute that regulates the sale of beer. And right now it's voluntary the standards, and and they're under voluntary standards not to market to minors. Remember the whole Joe Camel thing with cigarettes that yeah. we're not going to advertise for kids? Beer has agreed to do the same thing, that they're only going to market adults. And, and I am the ranking member, which means the senior Republican on the Senate Committee of Commerce, Science, and Transportation, has jurisdiction over about 40% of the U.S. economy. And so I launched an oversight investigation into Bud Light's hiring of Dylan Mulvaney to target children. And Dylan Mulvaney explicitly targets children. Put out this this Days of Girlhood series. Put out this thing shopping for Barbies. Dylan Mulvaney, core audience, are, are prepubescent girls, are girls that like, like are eight to 12. And the data are overwhelming. And my point is, Bud Light knew that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a secret to them. And if yep. you look at the, the, their advertising execs, they said, we need to expand to new audiences. What better new audiences than a bunch of teens and preteens that we can convince to, 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 to start drinking our beer now? And, and so I called on the Beer Institute to, to punish Anheuser-Busch for violating the rules and marketing to kids. And there went, is no age gate. There's no age gate on the advertising on Dylan Mulvaney's TikTok and Instagram. And all these kids are under 21. And, and it's and, and Dylan Mulvaney explicitly targets kids. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. that is part of Mulvaney's strategy. Yeah. And my point is, look, if if you had, you know, Budweiser buying ads on, you know, Barney or the Power Rangers. <laughs> That would raise some some eyebrows. And my point is, Dylan Mulvaney is explicitly targeting children. Yeah. And Budweiser knew. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that they, are, like, businesses are actually scared that Republicans have balls now? Like, that Republicans might actually go woke, go broke. Like, that they might actually go broke. All right, so let me give you an example that combines the book with immediate current events. We were just driving on Black Lives Matter uh, Plaza. Yes. I talk about Black Lives Matter quite a bit in the book. So Black Lives Matter as a statement is absolutely true. It is a truism. It is unequivocally true, period, the end. Yes, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, the organization, Black Lives Matter, Inc., an incorporated organization is fundamentally different. It was founded by avowed Marxists who are trained Marxist organizers. They're trained in fomenting communist revolution. They are vicious racist, and they have long histories of being vicious racist. They're also grifters, but they're also viciously anti-Semitic and have called at least as far back as 1995 for the destruction of the state of Israel. Now, on my podcast, Verdict with Ted Cruz, I did a whole episode saying Black Lives Matter is Hamas. And and look, one of the reasons, a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with, with a tech executive from Silicon Valley who leans pretty hard left. And he was expressing dismay. Why is all, there all this vicious anti-Semitism on the left and the squad and these universities? And I said, listen, you have to understand these are cultural Marxists. Yeah. They have coded Jews as the oppressors and they have coded the Palestinians as the victims. And so in the cultural Marxist frame, the answer is violent revolution by the victims 
to forcibly overthrow the oppressor. So they're cheering for Hamas. They're celebrating Hamas, like 35 student groups at Harvard that signed a letter that said every atrocity carried out by these terrorists is the fault of Israel. Now, what I did in this podcast saying that Black Lives Matter is Hamas, I walked through a bunch of the big American corporations that wrote millions of dollars of checks to Black Lives Matter Inc., including Apple, including Amazon, including Coca-Cola. That podcast came out October 18th. The next day, Coca-Cola deleted all of the references on its website to the $500,000 that they had given to Black Lives Inc. Because I said, look, do you guys support the anti-Semites who call for the destruction of Israel? If you don't, why the hell are you writing checks to fund them? Yeah, That's the power of not only sunlight, but calling them out and insisting on accountability. That's an example of how we can win. Are we, are we gonna go into CPI? I think we're gonna go okay, in and get a okay. beer. We're going to get a beer? Oh, fantastic. Oh, amazing. Okay. All right, great. After a very scary drive around Washington, D.C., Senator Cruz invited us to share a cigar and a beer, Steinerbach, of course, from Texas, and chat with us a little bit more about Jimmy Kimmel, of all things. Look, social media is, and just phones in general, I hate phones for kids. Yeah. They're literally inviting a portal of every evil force on the planet into your children's lives. But... As they get older, it is the only means their friends communicate. So you're faced with a choice of, do I have total social ostracization of my kid? Or do I risk horrible influences? And I'm just telling you, at age three, it may sound easy. Oh, I'm not gonna do that. I will tell you, it gets a lot harder. Yes. Oh, sweet, we get cigars? Yes, do you want me to let them for you? Yes, this is awesome. I will say the meme of, me on the border next to Fidel Castro when he's a young revolutionary, both with beards. I, I do, I do kind of laugh at that meme. <laughs> you really, speaking of speaking of owning memes, man, you are the Zodiac killer, Senator. I mean, you are. Did you see the polling that 28% of voters in Florida believe I may in fact be the Zodiac killer? Really? Yeah, that, that's actually a real poll number. Well, uh, like the people of Florida would elect you. You could move to Florida and become senator. Yeah, I mean, n never mind that he did his killing in the late 60s before I was born. That, 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 that is a, a detail. I can tell you on the campaign trail, you know, I had some young people with signs and one guy came up and said, are you the Zodiac killer? And I like leaned into him and said, son, if I was, would you want to ask me that? I like social media. I like Twitter. I spend. You're good at it. T I spend hours every day. You do it. And so I've got a social media X. team. I, I it's, am it's on It's not it. Dead Name X. Um, I, I am- it's not uh, dead, dead Name Twitter. I still like the name Twitter. I, I uh, Elon can rename it, but he can't force me to change what I call it. Elon talks to you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, close you close one? I wouldn't say close, but I, I respect and admire him. I he think, loves Texas. I, I think what he is doing is incredibly important. But, so I've got a social media team and several people can send tweets on my behalf. And look, a lot of tweets that are just kind of up the fairway. If there's a tweet, illegal immigration is bad. Yeah. That's probably my team. And then they have authorization. They can send tweets without me ever seeing them. And they, they know the kind of general parameters of what I believe. And so there are lots of tweets that are sent out each day that my team sends that I, that I, don't, I don't even know until they go out. If it's a smart tweet, the odds are pretty much 100% it's me. It's me on my phone. Today on the book sales, um, the book launches tomorrow in bookstores, but today it was, I told you it was number one, number two, and number three simultaneously on the bestseller list on Amazon for politics. On the overall bestseller list for books, it was number four today. So we beat Barbara Streisand, which I thought was awesome, <laughs> but we were, to, at least as of today, losing to Britney Spears. Whoa. And, and so, look, my view is, is I just need to get a couple of butcher knives and do some weird dance and we're passing Britney. And, 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 and I will tell you, I literally asked my team, get me some friggin' knives. And my team is like, no, dear God, don't produce that video. And I'm like, why not? Get a tuck swimsuit and you'll be set. It's, Boy. you know, look, I think. Tuck swimsuit, knives, number one. You're going to number one center. Too many conservatives act like they gotta stick up their yeah. And just laugh, just have fun. Yep. And it utterly disarms the left. You may remember back in, in 20, 
17, where I played uh, one-on-one basketball with Jimmy Kimmel. Dude, you kicked his ass. But do you know how that happened? Wasn't it a Twitter beef? Yeah, so what happened, that, that was the year that, that Golden State beat the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. So game five, we beat them in Houston. I was there. Actually, Kevin McCarthy was there cheering on Golden State. So I gave McCarthy enormous grief because we kicked, kicked their ass that game. <laughs> but the end of the game, Chris Paul uh, pulls his quad. And so he's injured in game five. And so we lose game six and seven. And Golden State goes on to win. That night, Jimmy Kimmel goes on TV and begins making fun of the Rockets. And he says the reason they lost is Cruz was there. And he puts up, I was courtside for game seven. And he said, Cruz was there. He cursed them. That's why they lost. So I got pissed off and I pulled out my my phone. And I said, okay, big guy, you talk a good game. Let's settle it man to man. One-on-one hoops. The loser gives 10 grand to the non-political charity of the winner's choice. I included the words non-political because I didn't want to be like, okay, Planned Parenthood. It's like, no, 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 like a a real charity, not not something ridiculous. Shortly thereafter, Kimmel comes back at me and he like is blasting me back and forth. And we're going back and forth. It's like 1230 at night. I'm sitting in my bedroom. The lights are off. Heidi's in bed. She's like, Ted, come to bed. What are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm in a Twitter fight with Jimmy Kimmel. I can't. So my team knew nothing of this. This was me on the phone. And the next thing we know, Kimmel said yes. He came to Houston. We did it at TSU, Texas Southern University. They had 6,000 people come out for the game. It's a big arena you it, did it in. It's a big I didn't ar- actually know where it was. So it was yeah. in Texas. Yeah, it was in Texas. Okay. It was in Houston. It was broadcast. It was broadcast. Uh, the announcers were Gus Johnson and Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas. Um. Kimmel brought in Ralph Sampson as as his coach, which hurt me. One of the all-time Rockets greats, and he's coach of the bad guy. But I had as my coach Lyndon Rose, who was the captain of University of Houston's Phi Slamma Jamma team that had Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, and and Lyndon's a good friend. And so he was coaching me, and I I told Lyndon, I'm like, I can't believe Sampson's on the other side. And Lyndon's comment, he said, oh, that's okay. We beat Virginia that year in the tournament anyway. And so he, he and Sampson were contemporaries. And the game, okay, it was horrible basketball. Because it wasn't basketball. It, it, was, it was a boxing match. It was sumo wrestling. It was mixed martial art. We just beat the living crap out of each other. He was getting dirty. I, we watched. Like, he was getting dirty, man. Look, look, he was like, the he ne- was like. The next day when I walked chin in. Chin music. Yeah, when I walked into the bathroom in my boxers, my, my, Heidi looked at me. And she was like, oh, my God. I literally had 50 bruises up and down my torso. And he had more. I mean, we were just. Yeah. We were beating the living crap out of each other. So I think I'm a better shot than he is, but it didn't matter because every shot you'd get fouled. So yeah. you couldn't you couldn't get a clean shot. Did you knee him in the balls? No, but I my elbow and his ribs contacted about 75 times. And you beat him. So I did. What was the score? So all right, we ended up playing to eleven. Bizarrely enough, there was a a halftime. Um the basketball was so bad the ESPN announcer said if Dr. Naismith had seen what happened here tonight, he would have invented a different game. <laughs> um, I started off leading, and then I gave him some open shots. So, for example, at the top of the key, I said, all right, Jimmy, I'll give you that shot, but if you miss it, ABC has to put Roseanne back on air. <laughs> and he shot and hit it. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? He made the shot. So at halftime, I'm losing 6-5. to five. So I go to go to the locker room and and my coach, Lyndon Rose, he literally gets in my face and is screaming at me. It's like out of a movie. You know, he's just like, you're giving him open shots. I want you on him so tight. I want you in his jockstrap. I want to know what what flavor gum he's smoking. I'm cracking up laughing. But it was like, I mean, he was just chewing me a new one, which I thought was hysterical. And so as I'm walking out and he was right, I was giving him open shots, which is how he'd scored. Because I didn't think he'd hit him. And he surprised me and he hit some shots. So as I'm walking out, Isaiah Thomas comes to me and goes, Cruz, take him to your right. He can't stop you when you drive right. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm getting basketball advice from Isaiah Thomas. And so we ended up playing. I You co- went hard right on Jimmy Kimmel. I, I did. And, and, and he had trouble stopping it. And so it was ugly basketball. But at the end of the Far day, right. I, I won 11 to 9. Uh, to his great trauma, and we raised over 80 grand for charity, too. That's kind of awesome, man. So, but that was all a Twitter fight, and my team learned about it when I sent it out to the world.
I've been on just about every late night show. So I've been on Jay Leno, I've been on Kimmel, I've been on Colbert, I've been on Fallon. You have a favorite? Um, Leno was really good and Fallon was really good. Colbert was a left-wing twit. But what's interesting, none of them have Republicans on anymore. So they used to regularly have them on. That was part of the job, is you would go and do it. Now they don't have it at all. They are so wildly partisan. Would you drive a Cybertruck? Sure, why not? They're made in Texas, right? Yeah. yeah. So would you drive a Cybertruck to the, the Senate? I might. They're pretty bad. <laughs> they look like something out of Total Recall. They're bulletproof, Senator. You need no, no, no. one. I mean, they're, they're, you need one here. They, they are bad. <laughs> I will tell you, so I don't own a Tesla, but I might. My girls really want me to get a Tesla. And I'm, look, they're headquartered in Texas. I'm, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have it as my only vehicle, but I could see at some point having a Tesla. Rolling in the Cybertruck. That would, those are seriously bad vehicles. All right, so everyone watching this podcast, go online to Amazon right now and buy Unwoke. Buy not just a copy for yourself, it makes a fantastic Christmas gift. So buy a copy for your dad, buy a copy for your sister, buy a copy for your friends, get five or six copies. And take a toast to taking our country back because that's exactly what we're going to do. Ted Cruz had to kick off and go to a Hannity interview, and so we still had plenty of cigar to smoke. We walked over to Union Station to check out the bombshell of a building that used to be one of those beautiful buildings in all of Washington and has turned into a homeless shelter under current leadership. This was just scary. All right, guys, so I'm here at Union Station. We are uh, at the... It's the large train station here in Washington, D.C. Joe Biden just gave a speech here. Why would you choose this location to give a speech? Seems like a pretty poor reflection of your policies. Seems like, a, you know, the fact that there are literal drug addicts wandering around asking for money everywhere. Homeless people literally everywhere here. But I thought I'd head on in and show all of you uh, exactly what uh, Democrats have done to Washington, D.C., and um, more importantly, done to some of the most beautiful, and it is really beautiful in here, places in Washington, D.C., what they're doing to your country. You can see the statues. This uh, building was originally built by Teddy Roosevelt back when people knew how to build things in this country. Well, you can also see, of course, behind me is that there's just open vagrancy and homelessness inside of this building. So this is the location where a Starbucks used to be. Starbucks has closed down in Union Station, Washington, D.C. because it was not safe enough for the Starbucks. You can see here the logo where Starbucks used to be. See that? They ripped they little ripped it off the wall. They used to have like a little kiosk in here, a little Starbucks. Uh, now they've just torn everything up and just left it for rot and rats. You can see rat traps actually. Still in Washington, D.C. Thank you for social distancing. Still in Washington, D.C. Got beautiful ceilings here. Look at that. Ghost town. Ghost town. Empty store, 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 empty store. This is supposed to be a vibrant shopping area. It is 5.30 p.m. on a Sunday night. Washington, D.C., right before an election, and you have nothing but empty stores. This is in the heart of Washington, D.C. This should be the most vibrant, economically flourishing area of town. Check this out. Empty stores. They have killed this place. And this is where Joe Biden chooses to give a speech. Absolute abandoned ghost town. Used to be an H&M there. How bad do you have to be at governing where H&M shuts you down? Starbucks shuts you down. Legal seafood. This used to be just a massive location. Now it's shuttered, closed down, empty, just like every single store in this place. Again, this is what they're proud of. Down in the lower level here of DC's Union Station, you have empty convenience stores here. For 30 years, what was in here? Closed. Dear beloved customers, due to the hardship of trying to sustain a small craftsmanship business, the environment we're in, management has decided to shut down temporarily so we can reevaluate how we come back, what time it allows us. Wow. 
Sincerely apologize for the inconvenience. I got a couple pairs of shoes done here. It's haunted. Look at that. You still have. Yeah, let's it all the time. I'll do the brain damaged COVID policies of Washington, D.C. So you have like a Amtrak train station here, which is, of course, the lines there. There's one guy in line. There's one person working this gigantic station. Nobody really takes the trains anymore. But it's all government subsidies, right? The only reason the lights are on here is government subsidies. There's a food court here, but uh, all these businesses are closed down. All these businesses are closed, closed, closed. You got Taco Bell still hanging on. All right, great. So you have a big corporation. Wendy's has to pull one of these, has to pull a giant metal shade down. So this is a location that used to be a Starbucks. So this used to be like very prominent Starbucks, very busy Starbucks. Now, of course, it's been shuttered. So woke Starbucks is too, it's too dangerous. It's too diseased in here, and it's too poisonous a business environment for Starbucks to remain. This is really sad. You have Einstein bagels closed down. You have ghost signs up here, ghost signs of stores that used to exist here, but no longer. Einstein bagels out of here, and America, which is like a, a tchotchke store for tourist stuff. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to go get stabbed while they're on family vacation. This used to be a Verizon Wireless. Woke Verizon Wireless, corporate Verizon Wireless, pulls their cell phone store out of here. So that's where Joe Biden did his speech right there. This area used to be shops and little kiosks and things. Uh, but not anymore. You can see that everything is cleared out. It's just completely empty. Uh, there's nothing, you know, nothing really left in here. Uh, it's a gorgeous room, but destroyed. Thank you for investing in DC. Oh man. Ooh. Hey, begging, begging businesses to come back. Washington DC is arguably one of the most beautiful cities in all of the world. It has some of the best architecture and some of the most beautiful and historic statues. It's a place where all Americans should be welcome and so it is incumbent upon this nation to reflect that all Americans are welcome here. No Americans are welcome here. And not even members of Congress are safe here. It is a horrible reflection on the moral decay of this nation that Washington DC is suffering so badly. It is a place that is in desperate need of new leadership, new rules, and of some common sense. It's not that common anymore. Clean up DC or let this be the way that all of America goes. It is, in fact, the reflection of the rest of the nation. America deserves better. We deserve a capital that reflects the greatness of our nation. Benny Johnson from Washington, D.C., in the arena. See ya. Tough one there because, well, it's sad to see Washington, D.C. in this state. This is our nation's capital. People travel from all over the world to see the greatness of America. And what do they get? Crime, rat infested, dangerous place where not even our members of Congress feel safe. Could have been char carjacked with Ted Cruz in the vehicle. Lucky we weren't. Legitimately, the Senate issues guidance how to not be carjacked if you're a staffer or a senator. So what do you do next? Well, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. These people keep voting for this quality of life. And until they start wearing MAGA hats and changing the way that they wish to live, what's the best you can do? Well, it's a big country and you can move, which is exactly what I did. We're gonna move a lot on this program. On this show, in the arena, we will be moving around the country and showing you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Next week, we'll be putting a little bit of a pep in our step and showing you some very good things that are happening for veterans inside of the great state of Florida, an entire community that's been built to give homes to veterans 
just in time for Thanksgiving. Something to be thankful for. And if you're someone who believes in a higher power, pray for Washington, D.C. That place has certainly seen better days, and it deserves better. It's your boy, Benny. This is In the Arena. See ya.